Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 63 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today we have a mailbag episode. We're going to go through different listener questions on things from industry terminology, how to gain experience if you don't have a background in design, what type of job opportunities are there for trend research, anything to think about if you want to create a made-to-order fashion brand, and last, some advice on creating digital prints for textiles. As always, if you have questions that you want me to answer on the show, email them anytime to podcast at soheidi.com. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com. I would love to answer your questions. I do a mailbag episode once a month. Email me your questions. I choose the best ones and answer them here on the show. To access the show notes for today's episode and check out any of the links that I mention, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 63. All right, let's dive into the first listener question from Samari. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Samari says, I was interested in knowing what is the difference between a prototype and a sample? Well, Samari, I've heard some people use them somewhat interchangeably, but in my experience, the biggest difference is a prototype is often your proof of concept for things like fit, construction, and placement of seam or style lines. It often comes in in incorrect fabric and incorrect trims. So what do I mean by that? We often refer to this as available fabric, available trims. So you can say to your factory, I'd like to get a first prototype or a first proto, as we often refer to it more in our in our terminology, our lingo, we often say proto. I'd like to get a first proto in available tr- fabric and trims. So what the factory will do is they will make a prototype of your garment using fabric and trims that they already have on hand. These can be things they just have left over from other jobs or just extra resources that they have. They'll try to choose the closest available quality to what your finished product is going to be made out of. This is essential. Uh, The quality of the fabric needs to be close, the construction, the amount of stretch it does or doesn't have. But the color may be super wacky. I've seen some really funky prototypes come in in really random bizarre colors, but we're really just testing for fit and construction and placement of seam and style lines. Now, I've gotten into discussions with people that prototypes should actually be done in the actual finished fabric, but In my experience and a lot of designers I've talked to, protos are often, most of the time, done in available trim and fabrics. Depending on the complexity of the garment, how long you've worked with the factory, and a lot of other variables, you can go through anywhere from one to two to three. I've seen designers and brands go through five, six, seven prototypes. Once you start getting up in those higher numbers, it's a little scary and a red flag to me that something's not lining up with the factory or the brand or the communication. Something is going wrong. In a lot of the design and development I've done, one to three protos is really all that you need to execute the design correctly. From here, we move into more what I would call the sample 
type of items. So the samples are going to be used for various types of sampling. The first type of sample that we may encounter is called a sales sample or a salesman sample. Now this is only going to be relevant if you're doing wholesale business. And essentially what you'll do is you'll order a set of sales samples or salesman samples and you distribute each one of those samples to your sales team. The sales team then takes the samples out, they go on the road, they do trade shows, uh, and they show the line and sell off of the samples. Now the sales samples should at this point be done and really I mean, I've seen some stuff in my day, but ideally in correct fabric, correct colors, correct trims. Now, again, as I said, I've seen some stuff in my day. Sometimes things get changed during various sampling phases and production, sample production cannot get done in time. So sometimes there are some things in samples that aren't actually correct for the end product. Salespeople are very used to knowing how to explain this to buyers. Uh, But there's another type of sample for you as a sales sample. Beyond that, you might have things like photo samples, which which will be used for photo shoots. Again, these are most of the time done in as close to accurate uh, fabric, color, everything as possible as what the end product will be. But again, sometimes you need to get the photo samples in, do your photo shoot, and you're on a tight timeline before bulk production fabric or other things have been created. So sometimes you're using available stuff in photo samples. Again, there's so many variables that go into this, whether you're using off-the-shelf fabric or custom-made fabric. Uh, this this explanation is going to change. If you're using off-the-shelf fabric, you can buy a few yards, have your photo samples made, have your prototypes made out of the exact fabric. Um, again, many variables in this. Beyond that, you have a couple production samples The other types of samples are what are called a pre-production sample and a top-of-production sample. A pre-production sample, often referred to just as a PP sample, is the last sample that the factory makes for you before they go into production. So this sample is in the accurate fabric, construction, trims, hang tags, labels. Everything should be accurate. It's your last chance to check any any details before production is actually started. And then your last sample, top of production, TOP sample, is simply a sample that is pulled right off the top of the production line for you to keep as reference so you know exactly what production looked like. So those are the really biggest differences between sample versus prototype is prototype, you're leaning more towards available trims and fabrics, proof of design and construction and fit. Sample starts to lean more towards accurate fabrics, trims, etc. for the finished design aesthetic and function. Hope that clears up some of your questions on samples versus prototypes. Next up, we have a question from Antonio. Antonio says, I currently have a bachelor's degree in business and a year of work under my belt as a buyer's assistant. I wouldn't say I have a background in design, but I do draw very often, especially on my iPad, and just started learning Adobe Illustrator with the help of your videos. That's awesome, Antonio. Do you think it would be worth it to go back to school for fashion design? I find I am not qualified for the design jobs I want, and I'm not sure how to get into the industry without a design background. So, Antonio, my first question for you is, what exactly are you missing? What qualifications do you not have for these design jobs that you see advertised? And then from there, I would think about creative ways to get those skills 
that does not mean going back to school and possibly spending more money and accruing debt or more debt if you already have student debt. I think there are great opportunities in vocational programs. I think there are great opportunities to be an apprentice with someone who maybe has their own collection and you can learn from them or even things like uh, seamstresses and tailors and pattern makers. I think there's so much opportunity to get some hands-on learning that is not going to cost you an entire fashion school degree. So I really focus on what are the skills that you're missing and what are some creative ways you can figure out how to gain those skills without going back to school. I'm also really curious to know what sort of contacts did you make when you were a buyer's assistant? From what I read in your description, it sounds like you were working somewhat in the industry and you met some people in various aspects. And I'm really curious to know what types of relationships did you build with that experience as a buyer's assistant? Um, assistant. Did you create some relationships where you can maybe get an introduction for an entry-level opportunity? Maybe it's something as an internship to start and just get some experience and learn about what you actually need to learn. But my first thing, my first piece of advice to you would be to use your network, use your experience as the buyer's assistant, use anybody that you met there or are meeting there if you're still working there, And figure out a way to get some opportunities through that. Using your network at this point in life is going to be a lot more valuable to you than going to fashion school for two or four year degree. So I think you could do both of those things in tandem. Start learning some of the skills that you don't have somewhere else, whether it's vocational, in person, online, through apprenticeships, something like that. And then beyond that, using some of your contacts and network that you built when you were working as a buyer's assistant. So I think that with those two things, you could definitely start to explore what types of opportunities you can create for yourself and get yourself moving in the right direction for a design career. Thanks so much, Antonio. Hope that helps. Keep me updated on your journey. Next up, we have a question from Stamatina. Stamatina says, I have an idea and I wanted to know your opinion and feedback. How amazing would it be if I can find a job that is trend forecasting? Of course, I love design and I'm always getting ideas for my portfolio, but I think ultimately trend forecasting would be the next big thing I would love to do. I'm trying to Google information and the requirements, and even if companies are hiring, it's not so easy to find as there are companies who do this specifically out there and are worldwide. Could you offer any feedback? Stamatina, I have to be honest, I've never heard of a company hiring someone just for trend research. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I don't know what how every brand works, but often what I see is that this role is part of the designer's job. The designer uses both trend services they and doing the research themselves as tools to keep an eye on the trends and then interpret them into the finished designs. I've also often seen this as a task that gets passed off to interns and assistants. The designers will simply tell them to gather as much research as you can from, you know, this vintage era or these these are the brands that we're looking at, put together a ton of Pinterest or mood boards on this. And then they'll sit down together and the designer or the design director will pick what they like that will then get interpreted into the finished the de- finished designs. 
To be totally honest, I've actually done this with my assistants too. Especially after you work with an assistant for a while, they get to kind of know your design eye and they understand the brand. And I can say, you know, gather a ton of inspiration for this, this, and this, and then let's sit down and go through it. And I pick out what I like and I say, okay, I want more of this. I'm not really loving this. So I am not so sure that there are job opportunities out there specifically for this within brands. I think your best bet may be working for a trend research company uh, and Honestly, I would start there and do some research. Uh, To break into this could be pretty tough. Again, it's not a space I know a ton about, but you're probably going to want to show ways that you keep up on the trends. Yeah, obviously you're going out and you're shopping the market, but I think that they're really looking for higher level conceptual interpretation of what's going on in other industries. How are you reinterpreting this into fashion? And I do not really know what it takes to break into that, but I would start looking at specific trend research companies. My gut is saying that you're not going to find this job directly within a brand. But if anyone else out there listening knows otherwise and has any advice on this, I would love to hear from you. So go ahead and email me, podcast at soheidi.com. If anyone out there listening knows of opportunities to do this within a brand or perhaps works at a trend research company and has any insights or advice to share, I would love to hear from you. Good luck, Stamatina. Let me know what you figure out with this journey of yours. Next up, we have a question from Brianna. Brianna says, I'm the owner and designer of Brie Nicole. I design pants for tall women, or at least I want to. I'm struggling to find a manufacturer and cut and sew factory as well as funding for production. I've been building my brand for some years and I'm ready to put product out. But until I have the right funding, I was considering doing made to order. What do I need to consider for myself and customers when doing made to order? All right, Brianna, totally blunt. I don't know a ton about the made-to-order space, but here are things that I would consider if this is something I wanted to get into. The first thing I would look at is the competition. What are they doing? What are they offering? Not just for pants for tall women, but made-to-order in general, because this is going to give you a really good idea of what types of technologies that they're using to help customers figure out what their measurements are, what their fit is. Uh, Do they have cool 3D scanning cameras on the internet where you stand in front of your computer and it scans your body? I don't know. There could be some pretty cutting-edge technology that some of these made-to-order brands are using instead of just fill-in-the-blanks, these are the measurements, we cut and sew this like a tailor does. Uh, I have to be, again, totally transparent. I don't really know much, but I know there's some tech involved in this, and I would really make sure that you know what's going on. Not necessarily on the super, super, super cutting edge, but just in general, where is the sweet spot for brands doing made-to-measure right now? Where's the competition really sitting? Beyond that, I would really think about how do your customers know that they're getting the right measurements. Again, this goes back to some of the technology that some of these more progressive brands may be using. I think that this is probably going to be one of your biggest challenges is customers taking their measurements, not measuring correctly, or somehow they get interpreted incorrectly. This is going to turn into a lot of customer service issues, a lot of complaints and returns, and to me starts falling into a really high risk category. What if the pants just don't fit? What if the measurements came in wrong and now you're stuck with a pair of custom pants that your customer doesn't like? Alternatively, if you say there are no returns, that puts a really big 
sort of fear factor into the customer to go ahead and invest and make this purchase in a made-to-order garment that they don't really know anything about. So that scares me a little bit. Beyond that, I think you really need to look at the price point. What is your customer willing to pay, and does this work for your business model? I don't know how much research you've done into who your actual customer is, what their demographic is, what their their spend their spendability is. I don't know if that's a word. I think I just made that up. But how much do they spend on clothes? Um, is this something that they're actually willing to pay for? They could be. I don't know. Again, not a market I know anything about. I'm five foot four, which I don't know. Depending on where you're located, that's in inches. I'm not very tall, so pants for women with long legs and are, and tall women is not something I know anything about. So again, research the competition, really evaluate, you know, what does this look like if the measurements come out wrong, the garment comes out wrong, what is the return situation, and also really understand your customer and the price point. There was a great episode with a woman named Kristen of Exclusively Kristen. She did a bunch of pop-up shops around the country, and she initially started selling her blouses at, I think, about $89 and $99, and she quickly learned when she was doing these shows that her customer was not willing to pay $89 and $99. They were willing to pay $59 and $69. So she had to make some sacrifices in quality, in fabrics and trims to get to the price point that her customer for her target market was willing to pay. So you really have to think about that, especially when you come into made-to-measure, made-to-order. I think your price point starts to go up, and so you need to validate that and make sure that it's something that works for your customer. Brianna, you also say at the end, P.S. I listen to your podcast in the mornings on my way to work. I wish I would have known about you when I was in school. I've learned so much for listening. That is awesome. I'm really, really glad to hear that. And I would love to ask you to help share the podcast and reach out to one or two friends that you have who you also think would have loved to have known about this podcast earlier and share the show with them. It's the best way to help more get more listeners Uh, hearing the great content. And I have to be honest, I'm kind of, I hate hearing that line. I wish I would have known about this sooner. So this is how you guys can all help spread the word about the show. All right. Thanks so much, Brianna. Let me know what you decide to do and what you find out with the research that you do. Next up, we have Carly. Carly says, hello, Heidi. I subscribe to and love your podcast. Thanks, Carly. Uh, She also says, I signed up for your illustrator class, but can't seem to find the time to learn it. A little bit about me. I'm a working mom with two baby boys. I run a brick-and-mortar family business in which my favorite part is that I have a fairly high-end coastal boutique. I recently launched a website, which I am growing slowly due to the fact that I'm a one-woman show who does everything myself. I'm also an artist with lots of creative energy that I don't always get to use. My dream has always been to launch my own label that I can sell in my boutique and on the website. I want to design my own prints to... To digitally print. I find myself always wanting to take a first step towards this, but not sure what to do. Must I first learn Illustrator so I can design prints myself, or is there a way around this? I'm considering hiring a consultant like I heard on one of your podcasts to help me get started. Do you think this is a good idea? I have zero time, but feeling like I need to follow my dream ASAP. Okay, Carly, the first thing that terrifies me is that Everything you talk about in here is that you don't have any time. Uh, you've signed up for the ma- the Illustrator class, but you don't have time. You you know you want to learn Illustrator, but you don't have time. 
And I think you need to do a couple things. One, you mentioned that you're a one-woman show who does everything herself. So first of all, is there money in the budget to find someone to help with some of the mundane tasks that could be outsourced? Are there things that you're doing that you could train someone else to do, an assistant perhaps, that would take some of some of the workload off of your plate, which would free up more time for you to do things that only you are able to do. I recently have gone through this with my business. I've hired a new assistant and I am trying to have her do everything that I can't do. Excuse me. Her do everything. I think I said that right. Bottom line, I'm trying to focus on only doing the tasks that I physically can do, like recording the podcast. Nobody else can record the podcast. Uh, Answering emails. Arguably, someone else can answer my emails. That's a space I keep pretty protected and close to my chest. I do still read and answer all my emails. But the point is, there are things that you're doing that you don't need to be doing. And so first of all, where is there room for you to free up some time by outsourcing some of those tasks? My challenge with reading your question and giving you advice is that if you don't have any time, I'm just not sure that anything's going to get done. So you also mentioned hiring a consultant. I'm not really sure what you're hiring a consultant for or what this consultant is going to do. So I don't really know if that's the right direction to go. That being said, I don't know all the details about your situation, but you say that you're an artist. You say that you have this creative drive. So here's what I would say to you. What if you forego learning on the computer altogether and just focus on your art? There are really amazing ways to create artwork on paper. You can paint, you can draw, you can use markers, all sorts of different mediums. So what is your medium? You can collage stuff. Uh, What is your medium? that you can play with that doesn't have the big barrier of learning Illustrator, if that's something that you just can't get into, that you just don't have the time for, where could you just get some of your artistic and creative energy flowing that doesn't have this big battle of learning Illustrator in front of it? Because my guess is that if you don't have any time, that might be what's preventing you from doing anything. So there are some really cool tricks to making actual repeats with paper and then scanning them into the computer. Not everything, especially for prints, has to be done in vector. Now, there's a cool, like I said, there's a cool trick for making repeats on paper. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. I think I first saw it done on Instagram uh, stories by a woman named Elise Joy, but I found a short tutorial online that shows you exactly how to do it. So I'll link to that. So Maybe you just focus on creating your art, putting some inspiration into the work that you really want to be doing that you're feeling really passionate about, and just go the path of least resistance based on the little time that you have. If you can jump into doing something that you absolutely love, it's going to be a lot easier to find time to do that than if you are having this huge uphill battle, you already have no time, you're not going to you know, I think you're going to get demotivated from learning the computer skills up front if you're that short on time. So think about where's your time best spent? What do you want to focus on? What is your budget to outsource some of these other tasks to free up some some time? Beyond that, you know, I'm a really big proponent of exploring your creative and artistic side, and I think that that's fantastic. Uh, I encourage you to do that in in a playful way to just start creating some artwork. But outside of that, I'm a big believer in market research and product validation. So 
Is this something that your customer wants? You already have a boutique. You already have an online store that you're building. So what types of things are you hearing from your customer? Is there opportunity to introduce this type of product to them? Uh, I would really start having some conversations with them, perhaps in tandem to you, just exploring your creative side and having fun with it. But to really validate this before you put a lot of money and a lot of work into creating textiles that you then turn into to garments and and investing too much before you know if this is a good fit for the customer that you already have right at your fingertips. So that's my advice for you. Please do keep me updated, Carly. I would love to hear what you decide to do and where this journey leads next for you. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. I appreciate each and every one of you. Again, if you have questions about anything related to working in fashion, email them to me at podcast at soheidi.com. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 63. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast.